0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this
2: movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth.
3: Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring.
1: Turn it off.
2: the suburbia. The biggest inspiration for me creating Mrs. Kasha Davis is emulating my mom. I started doing drag later in my life. And looking at the gay world, we didn't necessarily fit in. We wanted to have the home, the pool, the kids. This life that we had previously with our ex-wives. So I always wanted to be a full-time performer and I realized at the age of 44, it's not too late. Going on RuPaul's Drag Race, I just felt like this is going to be a whole new adventure, a whole new life.
1: Drag Race really put us in the forefront of entertainment. TV definitely changed the game.
2: And with it comes good and bad. It kills me that I have not gotten on there. I get frustrated with our community, saying everybody should be young, white, and thin. You're too old, roll over and die. My insecurities took over, and it really began to get out of control. Well, everybody likes a cocktail. There's always time for a cocktail. There's always time
1: for a cocktail. His drinking had started to escalate, and at that point I was ready to end the relationship.
2: RuPaul's Drag Race created this template of how to be a celebrity drag queen. And it seemed to me that maybe I didn't fit that mold. I'm proud of her and the fact that she's stretching out of whatever she thought her version of drag was. She's showing that there are no rules. Grab hold of your dream and hold it close to your heart. You've gotta run and jump, jump, skip to the side. Because you have to practice, 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 and
1: work hard, and never give up. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I am talking about the film Workhorse Queen. It is a new feature-length documentary that is going to be premiering at Slamdance 2021. I had the absolute pleasure of talking with director Angela Washko, as well as the star Mrs. Kasha Davis. Highly recommend that you see Workhorse Queen. Check the website workhorsequeen.com where you can find out more information about where the film is playing and enjoy the interview. I have to ask, where did the project
0: come from? In 2018, I reached out to Mrs. Kasha D- Davis' email and, yeah, started the, the process.
1: Well, where did the idea come from? What prompted you to even reach out?
0: I had been watching Drag Race since it started and participating in the drag community as a performance artist and video artist myself. And something that struck me about mrs kasha davis's sort of time on rupaul's drag race was just how different she is as a drag queen than most people who get cast on the show mrs kasha davis has this very as i'm sure you know very specific character she's married she uh is a housewife she's not based in this kind of fantasy of being this useful pop star but but really seems situated at home, which to me seemed both unusual in terms of a casting decision, but also kind of subversive in terms of wanting to be an homage to women like Ed's own mother, who, you know, were were confined to a certain amount of domestic labor and having this kind of fire and desire to want to perform outside of the home. So yeah, I, I started to Look closer into, you know, who, who is Ed? What's going on behind Mrs. Kasha Davis? And I got really excited to learn about Ed's passion for working with, with kids in Rochester and this kind of larger Rochester community that Ed and Mrs. Kasha Davis is very invested in and just how prolific the, the drag community in Rochester is. I also started learning (coughs) about Ed's very unique journey to ending up being a, a drag performer, coming out later in life, living in Scranton, and it's it just wasn't the story I feel like we often see um, in this kind of reality television presentation of drag queens. So I got excited about yeah exploring this story that there was there was so much to tell that that hadn't been kind of explored by by this TV platform.
3: Isn't Angela just the best? She's so sweet. And I absolutely just am always so humbled and uh, so honored to be the one that she emailed. Because as she mentioned, I'm definitely not everybody's go-to thought for a drag queen on RuPaul's Drag Race. And let me tell you, I auditioned all seven seasons. And I think sometimes they were just like, fine, just cast her already. It is really, truly such an incredibly interesting experience and humbling experience to have someone be interested in your story to this degree and uh, to be able to have the opportunity to have it streamed at film festivals or played at film festivals and hopefully, you know, even more eyes on it in the future is just incredible because it is a story of, in my mind, my story is one of that workhorse queen of never giving up.
1: Well, and it's super... Personal, and I'm curious how you managed to let Angela in and and give her that very very personal intimate look at you.
3: She's sort of a magician that way, isn't she? Angela made it very clear at the beginning. She's like, I don't want you because I have a go to desire to perform and to give a lot of energy, etc. And Angela was very very patient and good about educating me on, you know, what her eyes are interested in. And she began to say, you know, you know, I want to hear honestly how you are experiencing these things. And so it did take us time and it took time Mm -hmm. for me to feel comfortable, but it also took time for Angela to truly get to know me and think about, you know what, I want to know more about X, Y, Z. And we would get back together again. And she would sort of pick at that subject until, Bam, I can tell afterwards, she was like, I think I have something there because of that honesty and because of the trust that we began to have with one another. I believe in 2021 at this point that anyone watching, whether it's (laughs) reality television or social media, however you want to entertain, especially now we're mostly online, people respond to honesty
0: and I have nothing to hide. From my perspective, I totally understand where it would be scary to present some of the things that are in the film. Ms. Kaja Davis has an amazing audience and had this experience on reality television that, you know, allowed a lot of people to to want to learn more about her and it's scary to present potential failures or some of the, the harder parts of, of what's going on in, in, in Ed's life and deciding to give up, kind of pursue this this entertainment career much later um, in his life. And so I feel like there's a lot of pressure to present how amazing everything is going and, and how, how grateful, you know, we are all the time. And there are some real struggles and darker parts to the pursuit that Ed is on. And, um, and so <laughs> I'm so grateful that, um, he was willing to to let me film, you know, experiences that he was excited about and didn't go as well as he hoped. But they're, I think, really, really indicative of the, you know, unique situation that he's in pursuing this specific type of of fame.
1: So, Angela, you said that you approached Kasha in 2018, and I'm curious... How much time you two spent together, and how much time you two uh, Angela, because it's not just Kasha that you interview you interview a lot of folks, how long is this process for you, and how often are you getting together with Kasha to do interviews and and taping
0: I'm not based in Rochester, so uh, I'm based in Pittsburgh. I teach at Carnegie Mellon University, so having having also a full time job as a professor I would you know, schedule out weekends and spring break and chunks of the summer where I would um, plan out trips to Rochester, where I would film Imagination Station and Drag Story Hour, uh, as well as sort of club performances that Mrs. Kasha Davis would do at Rain Lounge in Syracuse, and also plan out uh, interviews with local performers like Aggie Dune and Wednesday Westwood and Darien Lake and Brosia Salad and kind of put all of the filming into blocks around like what's a what's a very active weekend? When's the weekend where we have a performance at Rain Lounge, a drag story hour, and Mrs. Kasha Davis has to also film um, cameo videos for for fans. Like let's do all of that at once. Oh, and a brunch. I forgot. There'd be a brunch. rain lounge would be a performance. <laughs> We'd be there till four a.m. and then there's a brunch. Bright and early <laughs> there at eight or nine. And then we look at, you know, at schedule and say, Oh, well, there's there's a block where there's gonna be Dragcon and then right after Dragcon flying directly to New York for a premiere of Hurricane Bianca and then the next day flying to Australia. And I was like, I definitely want to be on that journey um, because <laughs> it was like, that's going to be exhausting <laughs> and also exciting. But I think I really wanted to see, like, what what does touring really feel like? The highs of the performances, the unpredictability of the audiences, and also just the long, long days. Um, you know, some of those days at DragCon were brutal. So yeah, yeah, sort of planning like that. Just thinking about that,
3: Angela was, we were together for all of that. And she was there at a moment when I heard that my father was starting his journey to pass and we were together, I was exhausted and we were together in a hotel room and she was, other than my siblings, she was one of the first people that I was able to share that with. I mean, we spent a lot of time together and it was usually, as Angela mentioned, stressful blocks of time.
1: Angela, I know you have your day gig working at Carnegie Mellon. Can't really call it a gig, it's much more prestigious than that. But <laughs> Kasha, do you have a day job as well, or are you able to make a living off of drag? I am able to make
3: a living off of being Mrs. Kasha Davis. And there would be no way I would do any of this without the partnership that I have with my husband, Steve. And I say that twofold. One being Mrs. Kasha Davis is running a business, right? And so I have had success with that in the past. So I understood what I was getting into, but I didn't realize how unpredictable it would be. So early on, it was a matter of like, okay, there's no money this month. It's just so you know, from Mrs. Kasha Davis. And then the next two months were great, <laughs> you know. And so we've learned to be patient through those times, but also. I think it goes with the title. I'm I'm not somebody who's going to sit and wait. I'm pretty persistent with reaching out and saying, "Hey, I see you've booked this person. Myself and Darian would like to come too and we can do it for this this rate." You know, it's cold calling. And uh, I think that it's that's how I've kept myself afloat even after being on, you know, a reality television show and not doing so wonderful. I think you can make a career if you want it.
1: Do you mind if I ask a little bit about your experience on drag race? Sure. There's a a shot in Workhorse Queen where I think you're ready, packed up, and you're leaving. Do they tell you what the themes are going to be? Like, Do you have to pack all of that stuff in advance as far as all those different outfits that you're going to have to model, say, in the final runway? And and usually there's the two runways, right? The the theme and then the the beauty look. So you get a list of things. You know, you just might have to think about
3: floral fantasy. Like they'll give you sort of <laughs> hints, and then from those hints, you need to prepare your drag bag accordingly. That being said, if we did the challenge, for instance, uh, the the Glamazonian Airways challenge, that was all provided for us with using your own accessories and wigs. And then, you know, the production had some things that were there, and there was certainly a plethora of drag necessities that were backstage, but you sort of had to bring what you think you might be able to use. And you, you needed to think about like how things could mix and match and how I remember even at the, the first episode where we had our fall and our spring looks, I changed my fall look from what I had planned to something different because I got the sense that I was on the fashion season. I was like, okay, these girls are like, you know, <laughs> supermodel fashion kind of, Style, And, you know, I don't believe in regrets, but I wonder what would have happened if I didn't choose that, you know, to make a change, if I just went with what I stuck true to Campy Davis.
1: How was it watching yourself on your own season then and then watching yourself in Workhorse Queen now? How do you feel that you're portrayed in both of those things?
3: Reality television is, I would say, a there's a loose outline for what is expected to happen that we're certainly not privy to. But you're expected to improvise. And so, you know, anything could happen. I mean, you could challenge the producers to take a, a different angle, but the bottom line is, you know, you're put in scenarios where you're meant to improvise and, and, and talk with people and have, you know, those interactions make great television. And so there's pressure to that. And sometimes there's a producer crawling on the floor, handing you a post-it note saying, talk about (laughs) this again. You know, that was like fun, but you don't know that until you're there. And so you're thinking, oh, I have to be on my, you know, P's and Q's and I am brought up to not speak over people. Well, that's not reality television, Edward. And if, as you know, from watching Workhorse Clean, you know, at the time I was probably detoxing from not, you know, they, you, you get sequestered into a room and you don't have your freedom. So there's no ability for me to drink the way I was drinking at home. So I was panicking and popping a couple of Xanax here and there to stay calm. Well, that's not good either because now I have no energy on, on the set. Those looking back at that, I would be like, speak up. Like I would get mad at myself <laughs> watching still to this day. I, I believe in no regrets. I look back at it and say that was that experience. And I really came home feeling pretty proud about what I did Certainly, they didn't use a lot of things that happened. And that's because it's, it's, we, we filmed for 12 to 15 hours a day. And and we all know, edit it down to, a, you know, 45 minutes. You're not going to necessarily, unless it was fantastic and went with the, the storyline, it might get cut. The biggest thing that got cut was the relationship with my husband, Steve, and I. And that got cut. And it was another relationship was used in replace for that. And, um, that hurt because that was what I really wanted to show the world. And I really wanted to show the world our relationship because as a child, I did not have those examples of a relationship with a marriage and children. And so Workhorse Queen shows that, but it doesn't just show the softer side of the Like it shows the real deal. This is how this relationship, here's some great parts about it, but here's some, some troubles that we've been through. And so watching Workhorse Queen is always going to feel uncomfortable for me in that I feel as though it's sort of a recap of my life thus far, which can be played at someone's funeral. So that gives me a little bit of panic, you know? Um, so I, I say that a lot to Angela and I've said it, you know, uh, when I see certain aspects, and I like I, I, I go through the gamut of emotions because I know... I keep thinking to myself, well, I'm not done yet. So that that is how I feel when I watch Workhorse (laughs) Queen.
1: Have either of you had the experience of being able to see Workhorse Queen with an audience of any size?
0: I've had a a test viewing with some other filmmakers and writers and uh, visual artists. One which was socially distanced outside over the summer and one that was virtual but that was during the rough cut stage for feedback. So, yes, slam dance will be my first experience, at least knowing that lots of people are going to be watching it. But I'm looking forward to a, a post-COVID reality when being together with people in a theater at one of the festivals might be possible. I watched it with my husband. And, of course, we're fans of ourselves.
3: You know what I mean? So, <laughs> um <laughs> I think when Angela previewed it for us, I, I, ha- I was bursting into tears in some parts. And then I think I watched it again after. And those same parts, I felt uh, those same emotions and laughter at others. But I don't know, like, to, to be honest with you, with a live audience, I think I'd have to hide. I want to see and hear the reactions, but I certainly don't want to be in the front row because that's way too much. <laughs> pretty much how I feel about that. I think I might have to be off on the corner. I've had dreams about that where I was speechless because I imagine I've had other things. Uh, I did a series with Pandora box called uh, Kasha cooks and we thought it was funny. But then when the audience was hysterically laughing at some of the stuff, I was like surprised because you know, when you're doing live theater, you're, you're feeling it in the moment. And, but when you film something, you're like, I think this is going to get this reaction. And then something else uh, that unexpected gets a reaction. And so that's, you know, more in a way, to me, it's more surprising.
1: Angela, when did you say this is enough? When were you able to kind of draw that line in the sand and say we really need to work on that final cut of this? We can't add any more material.
0: I've said this is enough so many times, and then something exciting will have like Imagination Station, which is Mrs. Kasha Davis's kind of newer variety show, um, which is currently in a sort of or was in a kind of live live theater with kids sort of setting and, and is being pitched for television setting that came up after I'd already said, okay, we're done shooting. We have everything. We've already like working with the editors. We've got a, a, a plan. where no more shooting. And then that happened. And I was like, oh, fuck, I have to go back. So I think that was in December of 2019. We'd already been way past the point of, of continuing to shoot. And went back and was like, okay, well, also I'll interview Aggie one more time. And that turned out to be a real, like a interview that gets used quite a lot throughout the film because she had gone through like two more audition videos since I last filmed her. So she was in a, a much different place than, than she was the last time I'd interviewed her. So, so glad I got to do that again and I filmed also an, another interview with Ed, which ended up being also the interview where I I taught, I got Steve's perspective on Ed's rock bottom moment, and that I hadn't anticipated Steve uh, really kind of being so vulnerable and and so so honest, and and he told me afterward it was the first time he'd ever told how he was really feeling about that and. It was very emotional, and um, yeah, he was crying. And thanks thanks (laughs) a lot, Angela. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
3: (laughs) It it was actually great for our relationship. You know, it was something that we both knew, but never really talked that much about. And we've had multiple conversations about since.
0: Been through a, a lot of different edits. Parts of the story that I was very attached to, but maybe weren't reading as well, got cut and. You know, I'm coming from a background in experimental video art where, you know, you can make eight hour long videos and they can be as self-indulgent and inaccessible as you want. (laughs) So obviously, this being my first feature length documentary film, it's just such a different process. And I'm working with editors who know how to kind of hone in on on the story and, and keep people engaged and keep things complex, but also accessible enough that people can really follow it. That was a totally new process for me. And I did a lot of the, the first edits and, and bringing people in was also in, in some ways painful. So yeah, we, we didn't totally lock picture until two months ago. It's relatively recent.
1: You were talking about how you watched the film with Steve, and and how was his reaction to seeing YouTube portrayed on screen like that?
3: Steve, when he watches things, he says he gets allergies, and I kept looking over, and he he would be tearing up, and I asked him, you know, afterwards, and he said, I need some time to think about how I want to respond to that. He said, so of course, I was sad at points, but I was just overwhelmed and so proud about what we've done for so many years on YouTube and as a community, and it was. There was such a great sense of community and pride about that for both of us. And it kind of made us feel like, you know, certainly not parents to any of our peers in town, but sort of of like family, you know, that we got on this ride together and were able to showcase the the love of our community and, and, and in turn our family. And I know that there's there's so much other footage that wasn't used, but we were glad that they that people were able to be a part of those interviews too.
0: The YouTube show that they'd been doing for so long, I loved it so much and the fact that Steve had been filming Mrs. Kasha Davis and their life together for so long. I got to see the potential for uh, the film and and what RuPaul's Drag Race sort of missed out on in terms of of their lives and their stories.
1: What was that moment for you when you found out that the film was accepted to Slam Dance?
0: That was so exciting. I mean, you know, again coming from a, a more like sort of visual art, fine arts context where I'm presenting my work more in like a museum or, or gallery. Um, environment, I feel like I have a very strong film and an amazing subject and a film that tells a story not just about the subject, but also uh, about how reality television has really shifted um, drag culture. But, um, you know, I was like, oh, are people just going to see this as like another another portrait of a of somebody who's been on RuPaul's Drag Race? Because I've been told it's kind of a thing. So, yeah, it was important to me that reviewers of the film don't just say, oh, it's, you know, it's another portrait of a a famous person who's gotten onto Drag Race. So, you know, I I had a lot of insecurity about it being potentially dismissed and and people not necessarily uh, digging in and and seeing uh, what's going on there and, and why it's different. So, yeah, it was super exciting to find out that, you know, it was definitely going to go to at least one festival and it's going to more. I'm not allowed to announce them yet. But that first one, it's a, you know, it's a big relief when you're looking at like the, you know, the list that you've applied to and, and everything says status waiting. And then one finally says confirmed as a like green check mark. <laughs> Whew.
1: Gosh, I know you're going to be going to a um, a bingo uh, in a bit here. You're talking about all of the, the things that uh, Angela attended with you. How has COVID affected you and in, in, in your life uh, over the last few months? Because it seems like a lot of those things couldn't happen anymore.
3: Well, yes. 100% of my schedule was cleared, uh, as many people can <clears throat> in the entertainment industry can relate to. And then... We took to Zoom, and so I have been able to do a lot of talks at colleges, and they coincide with a Bingo or a lip, you know, a, a a virtual show where I'm singing live or or lip syncing. And then, um, more so than that, then I began to say, Mr. Davis, you know what? There's going to be some parents who are home and stressed and concerned, and the kids are going to let's do story time. So we would we began to do story time twice a week online. And that was something that I was, you know, able to, we're, we're approaching our hundredth story time that we've done since COVID online, on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And then I just kept thinking to myself, like, what are the ways that I can share my experiences? So I did a, a Monday makeup removal motivation video, and then we brought back life with the Davises. And so it's really just maintaining your presence on social media, which then would coincide with getting a booking and, and cameos. So I'm in sweatpants right now, a housewife dress <laughs> and uh, hair makeup and fingernails, because you know, I've got to have it all the finish and touches. And we'll do this performance tonight over Zoom. And uh, I think that's an interesting time because, In some ways, it was exciting because I would speak to friends who were, well, Bianca Del Rio, who, you know, filled Carnegie Hall. And we're on the same playing field where it's like nobody has work. So what are we all going to do about it now? You take to social media. I mean, we're very fortunate in this time to have that as entertainers because otherwise we would be doing absolutely
0: nothing. One of the festivals that it's been booked at, I can't say which one, but it's scheduled for April. There is a plan in place for there to be both a virtual and a physical component. I have a two-month-old baby, so if I don't have the vaccine by then, I don't (laughs) think...
1: Wait, 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 wait. So you're you're working on this film for the last however many years, and nine months of that, you're pregnant?
0: Check. (laughs) Holy
1: cow! (laughs) <laughs> and you're doing this during lockdown, and you're pregnant, and you're yeah. doing all this editing, and yeah, now you have a two month old. That is freaking crazy. I thought that it was bad enough yeah. that you're making a film during the pandemic, and oh my God, it just adds a whole other layer to this. She's a
0: workhorse queen? Uh, I was going to say, Workhorse <laughs> Queen respects Workhorse Queen. <laughs> That's right. Our Pennsylvania roots. It's true. Coal miners exactly I come from coal (laughs) miners so I do too I mean I have to there are things about you know I don't I don't want to say like yay COVID but there are there are things about you know everybody's at home I got to teach remotely which made certain aspects of and I had got to work with my editors in the beginning I'd been going to New York to work with the editors of the film and had been intending to go to New York for sound mix but You know, now everybody is very comfortable and confident working remotely. So um, everybody had to figure it out. You know, that made certain aspects of not being able to travel, you know, at seven, eight, and nine months pregnant. Nobody could travel. So (laughs) the whole industry had to figure it out. So, you know, there are certain things that that definitely made the, the workflow easier than they would have been if everybody wasn't confined to their their home spaces. I love kids and I can't wait to meet the
3: baby. It's just, I get to watch videos and see photos online. She's just adorable.
0: She's going to love imagination station and drag. Uh, Right now she watches the the Instagram feed a little bit, but you know, trying to keep that screen time down.
1: (laughs) When does the film premiere at slam dance?
0: Slam dance starts on February 12th. So uh, very soon.
1: Well, thank you so much, both of you, for your time. And thank you especially for making this film. My wife and I watched it over the weekend and just absolutely loved it. I really appreciate you, Kasha, letting Angela into your life and and being able to give us this gift.
3: Well, thank you. And I'll say it on every opportunity I get. I appreciate Angela for approaching me and, you know, the teamwork we've had in this process.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate so much the risks that you took and being so so vulnerable and so open and, and kind of letting letting down the the walls. And um, yeah, and thanks for wanting to to talk about the film with us.
1: Great film. Good luck with all your future endeavors and I look forward to the day when you can actually see it with an audience again. And I know that you'll do great at slam dance.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Fingers crossed. Thank you.
2: Michele MKD, international celebrity housewife. You know because of that one gig in Montreal. I'm the queen of my cul-de-sac, the mistress aphrodisiac. Tip in my box wine. I'm just a lady in a fancy dress. My face is painted to impress. More vodka, I look fine. <laughs> to be a real lady it takes a yeah. lot of, it takes a lot of balls. <laughs> God on a wheel. God. Oh. This is a hoot and a high.